All right, shalom everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. And shalom and welcome back to Rav Mike Foyer, who joins us here today. Rav Mike, shalom and welcome. Shalom, shalom Yishai, it's great to see you. Yes, and I haven't seen you in a while, uh, certainly in this well, I've been medium. here. That's right, that's right. You have been there, and I've been here, but you know. Uh, We're not always together. That's right, exactly. But but we are fulfilling the great, uh, uh, what, what seems to be the great prophecy of the Baal Shem Tov who said, wherever your mind is, that's where you are. And we are now mind melted in virtual space and we're well, reunited on together. On that level, I never, I never felt separate. My that's mind right. has been with you all along. <laughs> ay, ay, Baruch Hashem. Anyway, uh, speaking, of, um, speaking of where our minds are at, the Jewish people are reading the Torah portions of Genesis. And this week I had the great honor to spend some time with the family and we put on at dinner time one of our favorite favorite movies, which is the TNT Bible Classics series Abraham. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I forgot the name of the actor, it's, but it's a fabulous movie, uh, which which I, I I actually rated as one of my top favorite movies in the world uh, ever created because it's just wow. uh, you know it's they really went out of their way to make it close to the text very real there was no hokiness no cheesiness it was really the bible period come to life there they weren't overly con- the costumes were great and the placement were great but the actors really were like they got into their roles pharaoh was pharaoh king of sodom was king of sodom malkitzedek was malkitzedek isaac was isaac ishmael was ishmael and excellent screenplay acting by sarah and hagar and just everybody was just and god was god uh, and all that together Which is important yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have a good God. Casting God is not easy. That's what I have to say. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> just gonna go leave that one as a floating statement. Yeah, no. but if you're making a movie, you know, about the Exodus or whatever it is, or 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 in this case, Abraham, it's not really. It's it's a question that you have to grapple with. Like, how do you cast God? Yeah. You know, it's it's not it's not a simple thing. But they did a great job, and and I love that movie, and, and generally love things like that. I love. Uh, in America, like Colonial Williamsburg, that they take you and you really get immersed into it. History or, come to life. Yeah, or Renaissance fairs. Uh, my mom used to take me to these Renaissance fairs. So I hope that I hope that you and I will one day work on making a biblical Renaissance fair or a biblical well, fair biblical here in fair. Israel. <laughs> yeah, not rena- yeah, not not a Renaissance, but uh, but but uh, but still. You ever been to a Renaissance fair? You ever been to one of these places? Uh, I mean, I wasn't at a full-scale Renaissance fair, but there was quite a lively chapter of the Society for Creative Anachronism in my college, which is one of the outgrowths of such a thing. And just a quick story, I was once riding my mountain bike back from a late-night party in college. We'll just leave that as its own statement. I hear the clash of swords. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on. It's like one, two in the morning. And my the the college I went to had a chapel, which was like an old school cathedral type, complete with flagstone courtyard, which is which is where the knights like to meet at night to fence and and basically prove themselves to be the better man. I didn't know this. I just rode across the campus and encountered two guys in half armor with broadswords wailing away at each other at two in the morning. So <laughs> I haven't been to a fair, but I've tasted. Yeah, yeah. Those those things they really they, and and what's good about America is that they have free time and they just they really go full out on this thing. They like These they, guys they were they in get, half armor with swords. They were going yeah out, man yeah. I I'll never forget. I got my parents used to take me to this thing, and and there was a there were people throwing axes 
full on axes. Which is, which is a thing in America right now. You know this? You can like pay money and you can go to like a axe throwing. It's got a whole thing. My kids wanted to do it. We were in the states in the summer. Like, Are you joking? That's what I'm saying. They have they have uh, exp- expendable time and money to <laughs> to throw axes and stuff. Here we're like ducking axes. Yep. Anyway, um, um, so so got to see Abraham and um and 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 feel those feelings. One of the most incredible scenes. Uh, first thing, let me say hi to everybody that's already with us. Of course, our good friend uh, Lou Weiss, who helps produce the show, says Shalom Misha and Rav Mike looks Hello. and sound good on the second try. Yeah, we had a we had a little uh, misstart there. That's okay. Mulligan. That's right. And Julie says, I could see and hear you again. I'm here in Manchester, UK. UK. Shalom. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, about that uh, that group of islands over there, the UK. Uh, I've had a uh, full on um, tussle. Yeah, with with the with the Irish, calling, yeah, c- calling them out for for what I perceive as as, as I would I'm going to say a very broad statement, which kind of hurts to say, but it's Irish anti-Semitism, and of course that does not mean that everybody in Ireland is anti-Semitic, but there is a certainly there is a movement in in a, in a sense of of deep anti-Israelism, which anybody who kind of has hang out I've I've spoken to many old folks in America in Boston and places uh, in the Lower East Side. They told me, yeah, we always had issues with the Irish. We always felt that they were anti-Semitic. Um, and so I've been calling them out because of their anti-Israel policies and, and statements recently. And it's created quite a discourse on uh, on uh, Twitter. Uh, on Twitter. Uh, just maybe maybe we could take a quick pause just for that issue. I just wanted to ask you, like, why do you think the, the Irish would seem to have these, you know, happy, smiling eyes and beautiful, great music, you know, and and all that like what's the deal is it because is it because they're jealous because our name starts with i and their letter Come starts on. with i and yeah, we I have mean, a similar first, amount of people what's the deal uh, first of all we gotta sh- we have to sharpen i think beyond what's the deal the question is like what dog do they have in this fight i mean right. i can understand i can understand having a general feeling of one side or the other between israel and the arabs who's right and who's wrong fine so like you know you know but but the, 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 like that level of sort of intense partisanship um, and almost absolutism, moral absolutism, about right and wrong, um, is symptomatic of deeper causes. Now, now, if I had to hypothesize, I think it's hard to divorce Irish culture from Catholic culture at this point. Right. And, and I think that Catholicism has some deep challenges when it comes to engaging its roots as a replacement theology. You know, it's history in terms of the active persecution of the Jewish people. Um, I get. Do I say that when I say that that's the cause of what's happening right now? I haven't looked into it enough to know, but but um, you don't shed two thousand history, two thousand years of history, and this the, the typecasting of um, Jews in that way. Also, remember there aren't so many Jews in Ireland. Right, there's know, not a lot of Jews know. in Ireland. I don't know how many. Which, by the way, you would think means there'd be less anti-Semitism because we don't rub them wrong. But but history tells us actually it's often in places. Like the Arab world today, where there are very few Jews, that the that the anti-Semitic, the hate stereotypes, and this sort of self-referential role that the Jew so easily plays. Remember, I mean, to, to the communists we were capitalists. To the capitalists we were rootless cosmopolitan communists. To the to the rich were poor, the poor were rich, the white were black, or the black were white. You know, it's like you know, the anti-Semitism works that way. So I would say, uh, if I'm going to put the Irish on the couch, right? What is it? that we represent for them that they are struggling against within themselves. And that's a, an important exploration 
and I'm I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'm gonna also take a stab at the couch thing, which like me. So you at you put it as a question mark, but I would throw out to you. I was I was reading some of their history, and it, and it turns out they have a really long history. Oh yes, like like oh yes, much much older than Christianity, if that's what you're right. Like these people have been here for a long time. I thought to myself there might be uh there might be a, a, a some kind of a um a replacement theology, but not so much theology, but like a replacement of like we're an ancient people, we fought the British, we uh have a you know have a have a have a culture and a sound and a look and a this and that, and we never left our land, and here we are. Um and we should be number one, you know. There, there, there were like there's something being, about it becoming a tax haven for the super wealthy right right it's like you know and, and by the way they're they're very well off it's one of the richest cap uh, richest uh, per capita countries in the in the eu um and i just thought to myself maybe there's like a classic you know jealousy or that kind of thing and the other thing is that they see us today as like the continuation of colonialism this is funny to me and the arabs the Palestinians is fighting colonialism by fighting us. They don't remember when I've been writing it. I'm like, do you remember that we kicked out the British from, from Israel? Do you remember that? Nobody, nobody remembers that. Like we fought an anti-colonial struggle before it was cool and we won, you know, and, and then we fought a war of independence. And then we chose, by the way, not to fight a civil war between ourselves. And, and, and like the, the world doesn't appreciate the sort of different dimensions of conflict within which the state of Israel came to be. Right. Um, and that's often one of the symptomatic elements of anti-Semitism is that, as you as you like to say in Parshat, uh, in Parshat Balak, that the world likes to see and elevate one piece, one angle, the katse, uh, and, and, and take that piece of our story and sort of make a whole out of it, right? Because, frankly, like our story doesn't have any precedents. There's no good comparisons. There's no way to say, oh, it's just like fill in the blank, because th- there's nothing like Am Yisrael in general, and particularly our national rebirth. It just doesn't fit the mold. Uh, ironically, I've been finding it a little bit uh, satisfying to pick a fight with the Irish because... <laughs> Careful with that, because they, right. they don't want to do one thing. It's definitely fight. That's right. No, and Jews and Irish folks used to fight, even in boxing. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, and legendary, both in, in, in Boston and in New York. Right, right. And so, uh, and and I just feel like I feel like there's and, and and you know people will deny it and I might be saying something that's stere- like too broad of a stereotype but there is such a thing it turns out as Irish anti-Semitism but the thing is is attacking it on that level and being like you're not really pro-Palestine you don't really believe all these things what you're really saying is you hate the Jews and you can make an easy case a relatively easy case for that and 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 exposing that and fighting it on that level and then being and then linking it back to Palestinianism and being like no. You're not really talking about a, a people who who are lacking something, and you're fighting for their rights. You're not really. Oh, and the new word, the new word, which is everywhere on the internet. Remember, like occupation, colonialism. That is so passe. The big word right now, uh, spear, uh, p- piloted, uh, uh, spearheaded by uh, by the vice president, Vice President Harris. The big word right now on the internet, I find, is genocide. There, there is just That's- that. Uh, that that's the that's the that's the thing because you know what it's not there's not there's no great pull if you have an occupation there's a lot of places with occupation you have a colonialization come on you can say that about a lot of places but like genocide you got to stop that right now it doesn't matter that there's nothing even approaching it right but if you can use that word if you could throw out that word around that's it 
Well, it's uh, very similar to racism in that respect, is that having been hollowed out of any meaning, it's it's simply a stick that you can hit people with or a label that if you can make it stick, defines the discourse. Right. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, Let's just say a few more hellos here and keep going. Uh, We got a good friend, uh, Johan, who says, uh, Shalom, Rabbi Isha and Rav Mike Foyer. Thank you, our friend. And uh, Shalom from Malawi. The warm heart of Africa. Uh, and that's from Sothini Shaba, which is awesome. Thank you so much. And great great to be in Malawi with you today. Uh, I haven't visited Malawi. And yeah. the warm heart of Africa sounds very warm. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that is, I, I, I'm going to, after the after I get off the show, I'm going to look into Malawi and just have an image of my mind. When when I hear from, from Sothini, I, I will going to be like, okay, I can at least, I cannot right now picture what Malawi looks like. And so I'm going to put that into my head. Uh, Mark Rice says, I'm Israel Chai. Great to hear from you, Mark. Our good friend Lou asks, there was a Jewish mayor of Dublin some years ago, Briscoe. How do you explain that? Don't know enough to talk about that, uh, but uh, who knows? Some, sometimes sometimes Jews are the best anti-Semites, though. Remember that. Uh, Benji, not that I'm saying that he was. Benji says, got to watch Time Team Classics on YouTube to learn more about the history in the UK and Ireland. Okay, I'll do that. Send me a link. That'll be great. And our good, good friend, Whoa. Shmuel Goldman, is also in Malawi. No, just joking. He says, hi, guys. Shalom from the Golan. He's in the, war- he's in the warm heart of the Golan. That's right. Of Israel's north. And uh, says, Lorraine, do you know that there were collections collections all over Ireland in 1967 for Israel? That doesn't no, surprise I- me. How, how do you figure? I, well, because part of the, the, um, the bitterness behind much of the modern anti, anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, if you want to make the distinction, fine, but has to do with the fact that, that Israel was once almost venerated as the David fighting the Goliath, right? as, 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 a, as a people returning to its national um, sort of uh, aspirations and in, in the independence, et cetera. In, right after 67, for reasons we won't go into right now, that discourse didn't just change on its own, it was actively shifted. That's where mm-hmm. I'm at in my uh, Jewish story podcast right now, talking about the Zionism is racism, you know, declaration in the way, in many ways, that the Soviet Union shifted its efforts from the battlefield after we defeated the Arab armies with their arms twice in 67 and 73 to the narrative war. And so so um, it, it was a very quick shift all over the world. They came mm-hmm. together with a whole third world liberation consciousness. But so it's, it wouldn't surprise me at all that the, the, the Irish, and not from Jews, I mean, talking about just the average Irish, might have empathized a lot. Certainly the Irish, having been oppressed by the British to their own significant degree, there's what to talk about there. But the, you know, hell hath no fury, like uh, someone who's been scorned, right? You, you know what else they're upset about? I mentioned something like, you guys are barely populated. You have an island that's four times bigger than, than Israel, and yet you have about two million people less on the whole island. And they got very upset about that statement. They're really? like, they're like, yeah, they're yeah, they got very upset. They're like, do you know why we're depopulated? So I had to look into it, and 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 basically the potato famine, and and then the lack of kind of uh, British assistance on on in that uh, horrific uh, massive, famine, massive Irish exile, you know, right, right. So and and they're they're really they're they're really upset about. It. Again, I think actually there's another aspect of it where they they actually see themselves similar to Israel. They have this big diaspora. But that diaspora is not like coming home. They're like proud Irish folks, uh, but they're not like coming 
back to Ireland, like could come kind of come to visit. And here we have this Aliyah thing. I, I think that behind it, there's some kind of like a little bit of like sibling rivalry type thing. Not that I ever thought that that uh, you know we were related. That we were related, but you know you can't help but like like so many Irish things. You know, it's one of these countries that just has all these cultural things that you just can't help but like liking their movies and liking their, their Guinness and liking their whiskey and liking their music. And, you know, Michael Oren, for example, Dr. Michael Oren is famous for loving Irish music. He's an absolute Irish music, you know, fanatic. It's even in his books. He writes about it. But right now, I'm, after this show, I'm going to put on some Irish music and eat some Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Okay. And just, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be like, going to be like, listen, I'm, angry anti-Semites. I'm, I'm going to open a beer. So that's right. Sure. Okay. And a Guinness. That's right. <laughs> All right. Speaking of having a Guinness, uh, Abraham is, is circumcised, and he. Uh, do you see where the Guinness thing comes in? And he's and he's, um, you know, he just got circumcised, and he's and he's healing, and suddenly these three men appear, these three angels. This was in Hebron, in Hebron, um, and um, just parenthetically for Christianity, this scene is very important, and they stick in there. Uh, deed in, into that into that uh, into that scene for us uh, J- Jewish people we do not see that that way these are angels of God uh, and they're coming to tell Abraham the 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 real good news which is that there's going to be an Isaac and there's going to be a Jewish people uh, that are going to be born and going to continue through that which is really good news or else the whole story would just be like about Abraham period. And there wouldn't be the story of the Jewish people. The birth of Isaac is is therefore this great miracle. It's this great miracle. And you're supposed to go, I think, I think the Torah wants you to be like, wow, the birth of Isaac. I think you're supposed to be like, you're supposed to be like really excited that there's an Isaac going to be born. Well, I mean, the text itself makes the point of, you know, Abraham's laughter and Sarah's laughter, right? And then Rashi so beautifully sort of uh, articulates that these are, potentially can be understood as two different types of laughter. You know, one aspect of laughter, right? God criticizes Sarah because she maybe, if not doubts, she's a little skeptical. Come on, I'm I'm, I'm 90 years old. I, you know, I've never been able to have a child. Like, really? At this point, I've had a child? Avram's laughter, in Rashi's words, is of a different order. Right? There's a certain element of laughter when we when we encounter the possible, with the impossible within the possible, when the infinite touches the finite, right? That's why any good joke is a juxtaposition of two things you don't expect to see together. Oh, you know, a horse walks into a bar. I'm already primed to laugh because, like, what's a horse doing in a bar, right? So Avram's laughter is a sense of, like, what? God can do that? I mean, of course, I always believed that, in theory, God could do anything, but but that? And, and it's an opening out, and that's really a lot of what Yitzchak represents. If you right? if you would have told me, though, that, that uh, she, this, here's this barren woman who's 90 years old, and she hears this message that God's going to give her a child— I'm not sure I would have like been like, and the next logical emotional reaction is laughter. I find it to be surprising on both of their parts. And I don't, I almost am like, is that really the natural thing? Or did God like kind of, is there a twisting of something in order to make them laugh? Because it's not that funny. Even if it's wild or silly or, or as you said, like but, unimaginable. But don't, reduce, but, but don't reduce laughter to a response to things which are simply funny. I mean, laughter is also it can stand at the edge of madness, right? Uh, I mean, they're like as, as said, Russian Jews, as Russian Jews, we la- well, I could tell you, we like the darkest things 
we laugh at and that's like a thing and i know a lot of times american friends of mine get like offended they're like uh yeah yeah like my, my kids like to tell holocaust jokes i say no 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 <laughs> um but, but the but my point is i think it's it's, a, it's more of an existential like the, you know the juxtaposition of the finite and the infinite that mm-hmm. that like like that's the laughter at the edge of madness you know because when the bounds <laughs> of the possible are removed potentially that's a path to madness and, and and so so one of the ways in which we shrink the world back to comprehension is through cynical laughter mm-hmm. which is what at least rashi accuses sorrow right and uh and and but avram's laugh is, is the sense that a horizon is just opened up which is too large to hold yeah i think yes i mean it would it would seem like because sarah's denying the laughter it would seem like it was some kind of you know cynical or or disbelieving in any case, in any case, the laughter there is a little mysterious, but it's but it's kept up always because that's the very name of Yitzchak. Now Yitzchak also here's a weird thing: if you, his character that we're going to meet later, not in this week's parsha so much, but when we meet him and we kind of learn about him, he's not exactly the laughy type, no, right? right? His that, early traumatic experience, childhood, just kind of. Okay, but his name is Yitzchak, and we also know that he's like he sports with his wife. It's Mitzchak. Like he's he. There's, there's, there. I I think there's a laughter there. Maybe the laughter is the laughter of he who laughs last. It's the laughter of Jewish history. Like this was not a possible thing. Ah, it happened. Right, right. It's only in the time to come when everything's clear that our mouths will be filled with joy. Right. Laughter. Right. The real laughter and the real laughter and the real the real the real miracle is the survival of the Jewish people. And so, right? But that is the real that is the real miracle miracle now of of history. Yeah, but there is a hope that it be soon. Certainly, but I mean to say that's the laughter. That's the laugh. Like the laugh is Abraham wasn't supposed to have a child, and there it is. And Sarah's not supposed to have a child, and there it is. And therefore, it's like there's something. God says, "Take that child." And right. sacrifice him in order that uh, we be close, even though it's the whole future, not just of you, but of creation on some level. Mm. I want to get to that. I want to get to that in depth right now in a second with you uh, uh, talking about the binding. Uh, mm-hmm. Just so just but just one step before just one step beforehand. We learned in last week's Parsha that and we didn't get a chance to talk about it. So let's talk about it just very quickly now that 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 when when Abraham was in Egypt and he was offered money when they took his wife. Uh, when Pharaoh took his wife, he took the money and he became wealthy through that. But then later we saw that with the king of Sodom, when Sodom wanted the king of Sodom wanted to enrich Abraham through the spoils of war, Abraham rejected it and kind of like, Feh, you know, like, yeah, like not rejected even a out of hand. shoelace. Yeah, I don't want even a shoelace from you, bub. But and and there's different explanations, including maybe um, it says uh, Lou says audio is good, but video is frozen. All right, let's try to unfreeze that video. Let's warm it up a little bit. Hashem, please help us unfreeze this uh, video. One of the explanations is that in Egypt, it's one thing, but then when you're in Eretz Yisrael, it's another thing. It's a totally different level. And so you can take the money in Egypt, but you can't take the money in Eretz Yisrael. But I like a different explanation in which Abraham is actually growing in the text. And at first, he's in a situation where he thinks, okay, and I'll take this money. But then through that says, you know, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to be that kind of guy. I don't want to be enriched through through these type of people. And so the next time around, when it, when 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 he when he is visited with the same kind of phenomenon, then he says no. Similarly, here 
uh, when we learn about uh, we're going to learn about kind of two sons that that need to be sent away. One is Ishmael, and there Abraham balks, and then one is Isaac, and Abraham is hop to it. And so you could ask the question and be like, is it shouldn't it be the other way around? Isn't like Ishmael being sent away logical and he's not going to be killed? Why are you balking at that? Uh, while killing your your son Isaac, who you've been promised to have a child with, shouldn't that be the thing you balk at? Shouldn't that be the thing that you're like, no way? It, shouldn't the answer have been, no, I'm not going to do that? And so, so part of me thinks that 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 Abraham actually grows because he gets bop, he, he gets in trouble for being slow on 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 sending Ishmael away. Although you should have listened to your wife, you should have known. But here, when God says, take your firstborn son. And sacrifice him. It's like I already went through this one time, and I couldn't do it. This time, I'm going to fix it and make it better. I'm going to do this right. I'm going to I'm going to fulfill God's will quickly and adroitly and 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 to the full full extent. But I think it's a critical point that you're you're illuminating here. That first of all, just in general, we should always relate to the personalities of the Torah as real people, right? They they, they may be of a sacred character and certainly special personalities, but they're real people, and therefore. Since I grow and change, why would I assume that Avraham would be otherwise? Otherwise, how, how can I really learn from him? Right. right? Um, and and the, the other piece is the, the moral dilemmas is how we grow. That, 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 you know, like once a friend once said to me, it's like, you could read the whole book of Genesis as a how-to book of how not to raise your children. You know, <laughs> um, like you, you, really, you, you really could in that sense. But, um, but it, it's through the moral dilemmas. And how deeply they're held that we see this growth. And that's really what it has to offer us in terms of guidance for how to live our lives. One more thing before we get to the binding. Let's talk about this praying for for Sodom business. Mm -hmm. In in some ways, this is the most Abraham of Abrahamic moments. Sure. Where where he stands up and he he becomes a co-judge of the sins of this world with God, or at least is a, uh, he's invited. Uh, yeah. yeah. W- w- I, I want to say a moderating influence. If such a, if such a, if such an audacious thing can be said, a mo- a mo- like a, like, you know, when you're like deliberating something and you have like the, your good angels, your good side and your bad side and your angry side and your calm side. And you like succumb to the calm side and you're like, it's better to just calm down. It's like Abraham plays that role right now in the in the internal godly judgment decision making. He becomes he becomes a factor in God's judgment of this world. Yeah, and and um, beyond being a factor of God's judgment in the world, it's very important that it's specifically through challenging God on the question of justice. Mm-hmm. And the whole dynamic where God begins by saying, "Am I going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do?" I, I, I've known him in order that he'll command his children to go in the ways of, you know, justice and, and, and judgment. And then Avram saying, oh, the whole, the judge of the whole land, of the whole world shouldn't do justice. Right? On some level, what Avram is doing is, is um, through his opposition, is causing a deeper face of divine justice to emerge. Mm. Even though God doesn't change God's intent in that story. Right, the back and forth exposes the depth of the evil of Sodom, and therefore the depth of the justice of the right. divine judgment. Right, uh, and it also it also teaches us 
uh, the power of prayer and the power of 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 wanting good in this world, wanting to to do good and wanting for other people to turn towards the good, to to pray for other people to 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 better themselves. That's I mean that is a serious channeling of positivity, really. You know, Abraham sitting there looking for the good, looking for to 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 give people another chance. To me, that's like in, in, in some ways to me, this is, you know, you know, like, for example, the 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 flip side of this coin is Brig Bain of Tarim, the covenant between the parts, which I talked about last week. But that's God talking to Abraham. That's top down. Mm-hmm. Here is a bottom up discussion of 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 like, how should we manage this world and and, and, and to see the good into this world? This it, is it, Noah did not do this. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Noah is not recording recorded as doing this. No, and in that, it's an exposure of the sort of absolute value which Abraham represents in our story, which is chesed, which is this unconditional commitment to life. I mean, on some level, Abraham's not arguing that that the people of Snom are righteous. Okay, the device that he's arguing is, what if there are righteous among them? Notice he doesn't enter into the question of whether they're good or not. Right. What he's saying is that they're alive. And he's trying to use this device of the few righteous to show that, like, and, and worthy to remain so. But it's a very important, I think, to note that Avrams represents Chesed in the world because he's committed to life unconditionally. Mm. Right? And, and and that's not as simple as one might like it to be at times. Right. Right. Especially since since the Torah is going to teach us that the other dudes, that he, the dudes that he's praying for, are Perhaps like... don't deserve it. Right. And they are just... Like, if the Torah wants to paint for us this, like... Um, the scene of like of 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 uh, debauchery and 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 loss of human Vil- value and villainy and vil- but and also it but but like like really like a, a wretched hive a, of filth and villainy no yeah like a, but like a, a a dissolution of 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 all that's good and holy in this world like there's no no human like guests are victims instead of this the Abrahamic the profundity way. but this is the profundity of Abraham's chesed is that they are the anti Abraham. Right, they're the anti-Abraham. They, they, right. they represent everything which he is opposed to, and nevertheless, right. the unconditionality of his commitment to life is what right. we actually see come forward in the story. Right, one one of a certain political persuasion may also see Abraham as a little too willing to engage in in uh, in in love and 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 finding the good and all that in the other side. I mean, there, there's an element here where he actually does get. Where God says to him, uh, "You should have heard Sarah's voice when she said, kick out Ishmael from the house. It's not good for your household. Your kindness, your lovingness, your loving kindness, it's 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 a little uh, uh, overmodulated. Uh, well, that's you, why you need to Abraham, dial it back down a little. Yeah, that's why neither Abraham nor Yitzchak on their own represent a whole spiritual path. Ultimately, it's Yaakov, meaning like you know, each one is right. a, is a is a pure expression of their quality." But it's really only through their integration that we get Yaakov Yisrael. It says, Shalom, our precious and gifted family from Nigeria. And this is Cletus Okoro. This is so fun. We have, we have, uh, we had Malawi. We had, uh, and now we have, um, we have, gosh, we we have a lot of UK folks because there's always a good time for them in terms of time when we're broadcasting. Uh, Yeah, we had from Malawi. 
And now we have from Nigeria. That is really, really fun. I suppose and there, so I, comments because we're in we're in Asia right now. But three well, how about this one then? Here's our here's our friend Erica from Sweden. Well, it depends whether you want to distinguish between England and the continent. You know, it's like complicated. There. Scandinavia is like a different thing. Come on, uh, so it's not it's not regular. You're right, it's not regular Europe. That's for sure. Uh, and uh, definitely would love to see Sweden. I have some friends who tell me got to visit Finland. I, I'm gonna I'm, I, I got to get out to Scandinavia one time in my life. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a chance to do that. Take and, pictures. Uh, Just show them to me. Okay. And Mark Rice says, uh, a Chabadnik with a pintal, with a pintal of misnagid. Is that Mark? Is right. that who you are? Right. You talking about me. yourself, Mark? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Oh, is that who, who Avraham I think was? that's the balance. Yeah, the balance. Yeah. The right. It's like a yin-yang. It's like a yin-yang thing. That's right. That's a yin-yang uh, thing. Cool. I, I, now you know I'm not. Oh, you don't like the yin-yang. I, I love the yin-yang. No, I'm not opposed to yin-yang. I'm not opposed to karma. I'm, you know, I'm opposed to you know what the yin in our discourse on Torah, because I don't think that we lack. You know what? You know what a yin yang is. I figured this out. I'm going to say something that probably every Jubu in the world already knew a million times over, and I'm like rehashing the '60s in my own like little head. The Aleph is like a yin yang. It's it's it looks like it. It's got exactly that. It's got the you know the two arms. It's mamish like that. I was like, oh my god, there it is. All right, whatever. Two yuds and above. It's two yuds and above, right? It's yeah. exactly it. There's a split yeah. down the middle, and then there's these two. Even okay, the you know what? Thing. If that was, if I, if what I said now was like so obvious to all the to all the baby boomers out there, let me know. I'm Write me an email, Yishai, Yishai, Yishai. No, I'm saying that the listeners out there, Yishai and YishaiFleischer.com would love to hear from you guys. Subject and line, duh. And here we go again. Uh, we have another shalom from India. I Hashem. I love this medium, Hashem. I love this medium. What? What? This is the funnest do. thing. What? I said, we know you do. It's it's just, it's this most beautiful thing in the world. That we're talking about Abraham from the land of Israel, and we're talking with people from all over the world right now. That is just a gift. So I want to thank you, Hashem, and I want to thank you, Rav Mike Fire, for, 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 your, for joining me. Man, man. Um, let's let's hit, as, as everybody's with us and, and the time is uh, is running out, let's hit the binding. And there, there's a key word in the binding, which I think is very important, which is lech lecha, right? Uh, which is uh, go go forth, go to yourself. We saw this word, word when we just met Abraham. So this is the inclusio. This is kind of the end uh, of, of – this is Abraham's great challenge. Nice, you just slipped inclusio into your – That's right. Okay. So you have uh, – <laughs> you have here – you have here um, uh, this, 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 the only other lech lecha in the whole Torah – um, here we go. This is chapter, 22, chapter 22, right? At verse 1, was after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Take, take please, your son, your only one, uh, which you loved, Isaac. And lech lechat, go to you, just like you went to the land of Israel originally when you went from uh, from uh, from southern Turkey from Haran to the land of Israel. Now I want you to go to the Eretz Hamoriah. Over there was the land that I will show you, but here is the land of Moriah, that is Jerusalem, that is that is the Temple Mount. Valeu shamle ola, and 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 raise them up there as a holocaust, as a fully burnt offering. Alechad heharim. On one of the mountains that I will tell you. Now I'm going to tell you over there, over there, it was going to be a land that I will show you uh, by the first Lech Lecha. Here's a land that I will, a place that I will tell you. You'll, you'll know it when you, when you get close to it. I'll tell you that it's it. I, I will really 
I'll, I'll, I'll indicate it to you, but I'm not going to tell you until you kind of get there and see it for yourself. And, and this is the famous, we talk about it every year, the Kierkegaardian moment, this, this, this walk, this yes. walk. And they, they did a great job in this movie, Abraham, of giving you the feeling of like, you know, the tears of Three every days. step, right? Every step of the way of, of, of going to do this unspeakable thing. And so, um, but I want to open it up to you. Um, the binding it's it's uh, this is one of the few things that our rabbis ask us to read every single day um it's um it's um it's key to to jewish to the jewish story uh and and in many ways we have lived the binding uh um, in every generation with all the challenges the jewish people face just to exist you know and there's so many so many parents who say i don't want to send my kid to the army and i'm like well that's part of the Jewish story because we are, we are every generation we're fighting to be that. So throw, I'm throwing it out yeah. to you, the binding. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, that's a wide open uh, pitch. So, so and there are many things we could say and, and, and I frankly don't remember how many that we've spoken about, uh, you know, over the years on the show, but, but I return to again and again, in particular in relation to what you pointed out that, that it is one of the few full biblical stories, which is included in our liturgy. In fact, as far as whole biblical story, as far as I know, it's the only one. Others mm. get referenced, etc. You know, but but this one is literally every morning. I before I start the rest of the prayer, I read the Bible of Isaac, and in that sense, it's clearly meant to serve as a frame for daily consciousness, and not just as a text that we learn something from. It's very different to be a lens in the way we relate to the world. It's not a source of knowledge so much as it's a source of consciousness, and in that. What I would say is the primary message here is that the, the, it's a story about what happens when your experience trumps your theology. What do I mean? Right? The, 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 or your understanding. Avram has heard from God. Isaac is going to be your future. Avram hears from God. Now, sacrifice Isaac. That doesn't work. Experientially, he's now in that, that Kierkegaard sketching out of the moment of, of uh, the existential absurdity, as he calls it, of walking toward the impossible. Right, and yet Avram never flinches away from it because he understands that 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 that, that if you can hold your, the truth of your experience in the face of how you think you know the world, be it theology or philosophy, what can result is a revelation that that God shows that the world is larger than you knew, that God's presence is deeper than you perceive. The parallel. This is why our sages parallel this text to the Book of Job. Right, which in many ways is also a story about what happens when one's theology doesn't match their experience. Right, Job shares the theology of his friends who tell him only the wicked are punished. Therefore, confess what you've done. The difference is Job doesn't know what he's done, and therefore he's asking God, saying, "Listen, I just want my day in court." And in the end, he gets a revelation which is incomprehensible. Right, God says, "Where were you when I stretched out the heavens?" And can you hold the sea in your hand, etc.? Meaning, right. I'm not interested in your theology of why bad things happen to good people. But Abraham's is deeper and more sustained because Abraham receives a new name of God and a promise. Hashem yireh. Remember, this is Parsha Vayera. It's, it's a Parsha about seeing. And as much as revelation. you said that, well, you, well, that's one form of revelation, right? They, but, but, but we see again and again throughout the whole Parsha, we could list five or six times that someone lifts up their eyes or God removes the, you know, causes Hagar to see or, you know, causes Avram to see or in the very beginning of the Parsha, Avram lifts up his eyes and sees these men, these angels, these messengers from God coming. It's throughout 
throughout it all. And, and, and here in the binding is Avram doesn't just see something new. He learns to see the world in a new way. I just, I, I have to say, living with these stories of Abraham is, is just an imperative for society. And so I just want to ask everybody to do their homework and to read these chapters uh, about Abraham. Tell your friends and neighbors, hey, did you read the chapters about Abraham this, this week? And if you can't, then check out that TNT classics, Bible classics movie, Abraham. The rest of them are, are okay, good. Uh, but this one, in my particular, in my opinion, is particularly fantastic, and and we need this. We need this in our lives. We need these tensions. We need these questions, and we need the, this this moral judgment. We need these moral clarity. We need we need we need to believe that there are angels telling us things in this world. Well, uh, and if you don't uh, believe it, you won't hear them. That's the challenge. That's right. As I just want to tell you, as I'm looking right now, I'm in my office. I'm looking over there, and I see my wife's grandmother's needlepoint or crocheting. I don't know what it's called. I think it's needlepoint. Uh, of of the binding, of the binding. I see I, I see it right now. I see the angel pointing at the ram, and I see Abraham almost sacrificing Isaac. Um, That's an intense and, thing and, on the wall there. Yeah, I have it front and center in my wall. Uh, and one time I How had. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. It's 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 good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Uh, and uh, I had one time uh, Christiana Manpour in my house, and she went right to this picture. It was uh, the house on the Mount of Olives. Uh, and she says to me, well, what is this? And I said to her, well, it's the binding that happened right there. And I pointed to the temple mount. I said to her, but what's more important is that my Hungarian, my wife's Hungarian grandmother who survived uh, the Holocaust and has a number on her arm, she's the one who knitted this thing. We've been knitting this story through thick and thin uh, yes. throughout all of our generations. And she was, uh, she was uh, nonplussed at that. Anyway. <laughs> she heard it, huh? She heard it. She was not excited about that because she was trying to paint me as something else. Um, as a foreign element. That's right. That's right. There's a lot of people also saying stuff. Just just some comments from Julie who says, before I said about Facebook, what a miracle it is that we're able to broadcast. She says, Facebook can also be the way people spread toxic lies about Israel. Yeah, no question. It's a tool. Yeah. It's a powerful tool. It can be used yeah. for good or not. Yeah, but there, is, and, and, but there is a lot of evil out there. There is a yeah, lot of no evil question. that's being spread through this stuff. Um, and, and she continues and she says, I've tried fighting against these haters by reporting them to Facebook, but the posts are not getting removed. Why is the diaspora left without support from Israel to counteract this threat? That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, and I mean, my, my answer is, is that sometimes we ourselves are not sure what threat we're, we're under and we're not always ready for it and, and prepared for it. Um, one of the things that happens at the end of our Torah portion is 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 we've learned about the birth of Isaac. We've learned that Isaac is saved uh, in the binding. And then at the very end, it's not enough to tell us that he's saved, but um, we also hear we also hear that they return to Beersheba and, and then it's told to Abraham that guess what? A lot of people are born. He's got he's got new uh, family members. Yeah, big news. Big news, and amongst them is this name, which is Betuel Yalad et Rivka. Betuel gave birth, and how, how are they related exactly? Rev Mike, help me out here. How are Betuel and Avraham related? Yes. Oh, uh, Yalda Milka. Is that? I don't know what you would call that. The because Milka is Bat Nachor, right? Right. 
So Nahor was Avraham's brother. Correct. So that means Milka is his niece. So mm-hmm. I can never do like the cousin once. Yeah, like Malka does that. Malka does. Yeah, that. My, my mom. Like I come from that kind of family, and it's just like I'm sorry. That yeah. In any case, cousin. right? Exactly. In any case, Rivka is born, and that means that there's not only just continuation. Um, there's not just Isaac that's being born, but there's going to be a continuation uh, for him also. And the Jewish story keeps going. And we're going to deal with the meeting of Isaac and Rebecca in next week's Torah portion. And some people say that the ultimate um, trial that Abraham faced was the binding. But yet others say it's the penultimate, uh, which means not the ultimate, it's the one before. And really the 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 ultimate is next week, or the last one, the tenth one, if anything. Maybe, maybe this one was the ultimate challenge, but the last challenge was the purchase of the land of Israel in Hebron, the burial of Sarah, then the burial of Abraham, and the meeting between Isaac and Rebecca. Uh, and the story keeps going from there. All right, to be continued. That was to a cliffhanger. Continued. Cliffhanger That's ending. Right. Uh, a lot of folks saying hi here, Rev Mike. But Rev Mike, why don't you help us by letting people know how else they can connect to you and to your other shows? Great. I mean, you can always write me at robmikefoyer, gmail.com. Uh, I just updated the website, so you can go to jewishstory.co. You can see all the way up through season five, the latest episodes. Um, and if you're interested in my counseling or uh, any of the other creative consulting work I do, you can check out robmike.com for all the links there and see what I do and be in touch. And you can find Wonderful. me on Facebook. I'm uh, there on Twitter, too. You know, I'm now, Amihud asks, he says, Rob Foyer is, is wearing... His keepa like an actual hat. Is that allowed? That's what's what he's asking. Actual, what's an actual yeah, hat? Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. What's what an actual my, my, my floppier keepa? I mean, I'm not sure what that means, but meaning like tilted forward with like the militant angle. That's just a style thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. My I think it's allowed. It, but I, like, I like it. It's a little, uh, I like a little lean forward type. Uh, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, Johanna's friend says, God bless the descendants of Avram Avinu. And okay. I want to adjure everybody to really connect to the story of Abraham today. Beauty is also is that is that that it the the personage of of Abraham is one that brings people the whole world together. Uh, certainly, the that's right. He's Avraham on game, the Abrahamic faiths, and it's a great opportunity for us to really strengthen ourselves. I do believe in my heart that the Book of Genesis is actually the the remedy for many of the ailments that we have today uh, in society, and we need this stuff more than ever before. Uh, so I challenge myself and I challenge all of you guys and I challenge of Mike to bring the Tanakh, to give birth to the Tanakh in our time because uh, it's it's needed more than ever before. Uh, everything that I'm listening to about the about the state of affairs of the world makes it clear to me that the, the, the death of God, the death of the Bible in the minds of, of folks in Western civilization, academia, media, uh, politicians and courts, uh, is really the undoing of it. It's the sodomization. I don't mean that in the in the uh, in in the term technical of sense. Yeah, no, not in the technical sense. In the t- sense that we become godless, we become anti-Abraham, like we talked about, and that what we need is uh, the opposite. We need very much um, to go in that direction. Rev. Mike Foyer, I want to thank you so much for helping us go in that direction. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's great to see you again. Shabbat Shalom. God bless you, Rav Mike Foyer. Stay connected with him. Stay connected with me. It's easy. Yishai, yishaifleischer.com. Write me an email, uh, yishai at, uh, what I said, yishaifleischer.com. Check my website or yishai at thelandofisrael.com. And thank you to the Land of Israel Network for hosting us. Thank you also to Prohibition Pickle for keeping us pickled, okay, and helping us getting out of the pickle of, of having a boring Shabbos, but rather keeping it fun and, and tasty. 
uh, check out their Instagram page, check out their um, uh, their Facebook page. And Rev Mike and myself, we're not just uh, sponsors uh, of uh, we, we're not just promoters. We are also proud consumers. Proud consumers if of you Prohibition got, Pickle. Kiddish, you're always welcome to do it. That's right. That's right. Send you could send us kiddish, and that's going to be awesome. Uh, and it makes a huge difference. And I also want to mention JewishPress.com, which puts out the show every single week. Uh, a great newsletter and lots of fun there. JewishPress.com, uh, and really keeps you up to date on what's going on in the in the, in the Jewish and in the Israeli world. Uh, HebronFund.org. Get ready for Parshat Chai Sarah next Shabbat, not this Shabbat, next Shabbat. We are we are working overtime to beautify it and get ready for the mass crowds that are coming to Parshat Chai Sarah. Uh, uh, and the the Maratha Machpila will will be uh, will be Corona free, okay? Uh, so come to that and uh, and connect with that. And finally, I had this in my heart. My 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 kids were trying to put together a kit of uh, of the of the third of the second temple, uh, and it's like a wood kit, and it was just not working well for them. And I know that my good friend Yitz at J Brick, uh, J Brick, that's Jewish Lego. Uh, does a great job at making a Beta Mikdash kit. So purchase a Beta Mikdash kit for your for your kids. Help them build it, and it'll live on on your shelf and in your heart. And you'll see it one day in real life. Uh, so check out J Brick for for Beta Mikdash and other great Jewish Lego kits. That's it, Rev Mike Foyer. Thank you so much for being with us. Shalom. God bless you, Rev Mike, and thank you for joining us a lot. And it's so great to have him back on the show with us. Also, I want to thank you, Chavit Seidman. Ben Bresky, Tabitha, um, who else? Oh, Lou, who was last week named Joe for no particular reason. Lou, uh, for helping produce. And one second, it's Yocheved. It's, oh, and Moshe Herman and Tabitha and Moshe and Ben and Lou. That's right. Those are the folks that make this show happen. And thank you for being with us. Lots of love to you and lots of blessings from the land of blessings. More great stuff is... Uh, still available, still still happening. And stay tuned if you're listening on podcast because we keep going on the Ishai Fleischer Show. Thank you, Hashem, for every moment that we get to talk with our friends about the holiness, the beauty, and the great miracle of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, as was promised by you to Abraham. Shalom. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, and it's great to be with you, but I wish I was here under better circumstances, and that's because 20 years ago, 20 years ago to this very day on the English calendar, uh, a very famous Israeli tourism minister, Rechavam Ze'evi, was assassinated uh, Wednesday morning, 17th of October, 2001, at the hotel that was called then the Hyatt Hotel in Jerusalem, and he was hit by a squad of uh, Palestinian terrorists acting on behalf of the PFLP, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. Zevi was the first Israeli minister to be assassinated since the assassination of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, uh, but he was the most senior person to be murdered by Palestinian militants. Now, Zevi was famous in that he held a very hard line uh, against uh, terrorism and was known. He was uh, also at one time a general uh, was uh, came back to Hebron uh, in in 1967 after remembering that he was a kid there and as a kid getting slapped on the seventh step uh, trying to pray in the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs and he came there and blew it up uh, the the staircase that that was a, uh, a Muslim staircase that was attached to the building 
And he was a very intense fellow, and he also called for transfer of terrorists out of the land of Israel. And he was identified by the Palestinian cause as somebody to get rid of, because if you can't silence the guy, you can't pay him off, you can't uh, erase his uh, good name, you can't besmirch him, then the way to do it is to just get rid of him. And almost to the day, uh, we now commemorate the murder uh, of an amazing British MP, conservative MP, member of parliament, Sir David Amos, who was murdered after being stabbed multiple times at his Essex constituency and what the police are now calling a terrorist incident. Uh, basically, he was uh, uh, on, church, on his church steps chatting and laughing with locals, and then suddenly um, a man emerged from a small group and attacked him, stabbing him several times, and this led to his death. Now, uh, the man that has been captured uh, and is be going to be charged with the murder has a Muslim name, and already the police are saying uh, that it was indeed a, a jihadist terrorist attack. And so we have almost 20 years to the day uh, from Rechavam Zaevi, uh, MP David Ames has been shut down. And if you read all of the information about him, He's a very loved person, and he's been knighted, was knighted in 2015. But what they don't say in all the articles that I have found, anyway, in the British newspapers, is that he was extremely pro-Israel, and that the likelihood is that this uh, Muslim assailant, uh, this jihadist assailant, got rid of David Ames because he was indeed pro-Israel. Now, uh, I, I was already writing about this and tweeting about this, and I saw that Prime Minister Netanyahu tweeted himself about uh, MP David Ames, Sir David Ames. Uh, but my good friend Reuven Pittinger writes to me and he says to me, Ishai, I don't know if you know this, but Ames was a good friend. Ames was a good friend of our family. And in fact, my father, who was a U.S. congressman, uh, knew him very well and called him upon him for many events. And he was at our weddings and all of our joyous occasion. And Congressman uh, Robert Pittenger, who we have here with us today, who represented Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, for three terms uh, with his focus on national security, uh, foreign, foreign investment reform. And that means that means that terrorism can't sneak in through the uh, U.S. investments, uh, tax reform and religious freedom. Uh, he was chairman of the Congressional Task Force on Terrorism and Conventional Warfare and vice chairman of the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Terrorism and Illicit Finance. And what they don't say in his bio is that he's got his name on a flag that was dedicated by Congress to the Jewish community of Hebron, Hebron, and he's got his name on it, Robert Pittenger. You have your name on it, Robert, uh, Congressman Pittenger. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm sad that I had to invite you on for these circumstances, but tell me a little bit about uh, MP David Ames and what happened to him uh, yesterday, on Friday. Thank you, Rabbi. Uh, Fleischer. Um, Sir David Amos and I met in 1988 on a trip to Moscow. And we were there with an organization called Christian Solidarity. And our intent was to help uh, make sure that uh, 118 prisoners of conscience, uh, those who were detained in prison, Christians and Jews and others, uh, that we could have them released from prison. And David was so eloquent. He was a new member of parliament, essentially. Another member of Congress came with us, uh, Frank Wolf. 
both of them were outstanding in their presentations. We, there was a big dinner at the American Embassy that Jack Matlock hosted, our ambassador, the members of the Politburo and others were there. And they challenged them that um, religious freedom and human rights and, and uh, issues of, of freedoms of conscience were uh, issues of, of that embraced all Americans and all people from Britain. They weren't liberal or conservative or, or Tory or, or labor, uh, Democrat or Republican. Uh, they were values that were essential if they wanted to embrace our country and embrace uh, us as, as some type of partner in some form. So that's where David and I hit it off. Uh, we worked together for eight days on that trip and we became very close. We're, of course, we're godparents to his sweet daughter, Florence. And as Bobby mentioned uh, to you and conveyed, and you conveyed, we share family weddings and events and all. I have never seen David Amos angry. I've never seen him uh, trash other people. He wrote a book, uh, The Eyes and Ears of Parliament. And most books like that, I get about halfway through, and they're all praising themselves. And I, I'd read as much about how glorious they are, and then I move on to the next book. David's book was about right. other people praising everyone else. Uh, he didn't come after anyone with a sword. Uh, he talked about the traditions of Parliament and how it had transitioned over the near four decades that he's been there, much to his disappointment in terms of traditions, but never to malign people. He was so loved. Big smile all the time. I'm going to miss that smile. I loved him. He was like a brother to me. He's frankly my closest friend. And he was the quintessential politician that you want who cares and loves people. And uh, that's what he was about. He never sought to be a big player in the uh, national uh, British uh, government. He loved his job serving his constituents. They call it surgeries uh, in the UK. Uh, we, we call it town hall meetings and uh, private meetings with our constituents. But he, he never missed a Friday going out to his district. And uh, I walked his district with him just a month ago. We were there for a daughter's mm. wedding. And uh, mm. people loved him, waving all the time. And he's just a big smile. So here's this brutal, horrific murder to one of the nicest, kindest, gentlest people I've ever known. Uh, it behooves me uh, while life has been taken. I, I would say this. His convictions were just as strong and meaningful as his, his, his warmth of demeanor. Uh, David never softened whether it was pro-life issues, issues about animals, uh, issues about being pro-Israel, to uh, make sure that we're strong against uh, terrorist threats and other adversarial states. In fact, he was the keynote speaker uh, September 6th for our Parliamentary Intelligence Security Forum uh, that we had in Budapest. We had 208 members of parliament from 54 countries who were there. And I asked David to come and give the opening address. He was remarkable, uh, right on point. He understood the, the outcome and the fallout of what's going to happen as a result of this debacle in Afghanistan. And um, he, he discussed very specifically uh, the challenges that we face together as freedom-loving people. So David was not uh, soft on convictions. He stood strong for Israel. He loved Israel. And he always sought to do whatever he could 
to advance the, the cause of freedom for the people who living in Israel. Now, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, eulogized uh, David Amoson uh, in, a, uh, in a tweet, and uh, he, he mentioned him, and, and I just want to ask you, like, why? Okay, you know, I mean, what, what did he do? Uh, this is a show about Israeli issues, uh, so I just want to understand, like, I know that he was also uh, pro-Brexit. Uh, I know that he uh, had a long-running campaign to make a city called South End a yeah. city, uh, and he had, uh, he, he had a lot of issues that he took very personally. Uh, but one could probably guess he was also Roman Catholic, by the way, right? Which was interesting. Um, and he supported a ban on fox hunting. Sure. It was against speaking of tradition, that's a pretty British thing to do, fox hunting. And yet he was against it. <laughs> but, uh, but he was, he was, uh, he was, he was stabbed to death today by a 25 year old Somali, and that Somali's name. Uh, is Ali Harb or Harbi Ali. And uh, the reason that that stuck out to my wife and I is because the word Harb means sword. And so this guy, you know, really, that's what he was. He was a sword. And he came and he stabbed uh, uh, MP Amos. And I just want to understand, like, what do you think? Like, why do you think that he was, I'm, you know, gunned down? Why why was he taken down today, uh, excuse me, on Friday, uh, in, in England, there's many other parliamentarians. Why? Why was his voice shut down? Was it just madness, or was there something specific? I don't know the, the mind of a terrorist. Uh, David was the most thoughtful, loving person, expressed by many from the opposition party uh, in in Parliament. Uh, it is such a paradox, and so difficult to absorb because of his kindness. Uh, that person, if that person would have come up to him and expressed uh, his, his concerns and his objections, David would have listened quietly and thoughtfully and, and did what he could to embrace that individual. He's never turned his nose up on anyone. So I, I don't have an answer for that. I do know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that even though he was a sweet and gentle individual, he was probably full of conviction. And that's why he stood strong behind Brexit and stood strong behind Israel and the jihad. There was uh, no softening to his convictions based on his on his personality. Right. Uh, he was very strong right. in what he believed. And as you're right, he was very strong uh, to support Israel. But he was also out front with us last month uh, in a forum that was frankly broadcast uh, live stream around the world. Uh, going after uh, the terrorist. And uh, I would hate to think that that was part of why this happened to him. But I'm sobered with that reality. Uh, I loved him as a brother. And if his attending that and speaking to that had anything to do with his demise, it would just grieve me the, the worst. Yeah, the, the thing is, the thing is, Congressman, is that is that uh, the enemies of Israel, they are very successful in cajoling young people on campus, sure. having the media stand with them, uh, and having a lot of European parliamentarians uh, stand on their side and call against Israel, call Israel every kind of name. Uh, even in the United States of America recently, the vice president seemed to uh, uphold the, the idea 
that Israel is not only a, a, an occupier in an apartheid state, but a genocidal state. And so here comes a parliamentarian who, even by the newspaper accounts, is a backbencher, and yet at the same time, strong in his conviction. And, and, and because his conviction is strong and it also makes sense, people go over to his side. And so a young, young man who has a jihadi consciousness says, no problem. If I can't convince him and if, I, if he's in our way, then, then the only thing to do is, is to get out, get, get, him, get him off the scene. Take him out, rub him out, fin finish the job, and not have his kind of voice in our way. And this also sends a signal to other parliamentarians or leaders or thinkers or, 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 or academics or actors or press people. This is how this is how we roll. This is what we're going to shut these mouths. And you could you could either uh, live a nice peaceful life if you go along with it, or you could just uh, shut your mouth uh, and 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 exist, or 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 you open your mouth and say that you stand with Israel and stand with these values and uh and you you will be you will suffer a great price for that and that that's that's what i think happened today and that's what happened to uh the, the great minister Rechavam Zevi. yes sir your your analysis is correct uh, but i think that's the, unfortunately the price of liberty uh, mm -hmm. i i lived in washington uh, back in the early mid 70s and below me was the iwo jima memorial and every single Tuesday at five o'clock, the Marine Band would come and they would celebrate at the Iwo Jima Memorial. Wow. And, but one Tuesday in November of 1975, they came and dressed all in different uniforms. I thought, that's really strange. So I got off my balcony. I walked down to the base of the Iwo Jima. You know, this is where the Marines hold up the flag. And um, I said, sir, officer, why are you dressed in different uniforms? He said, sir, those uniforms represent every battle in the war we fought in the last 200 years. Hmm. What a sobering thought. I wept. But liberty, there's a price always to be paid. And thank God for people like David Amos and through the centuries have stood for liberty. Uh, you have leaders in uh, President Rabin, uh, Prime Minister Rabin. Uh, I cried when he was taken out. Uh, there was a price that we all pay, and we're out on the front line. And when you do that, you know that. And frankly, there had been a death threat already issued on David's life. He understood that. He went anyhow. Mm. He had a job to mm. do. He loved his people. He loved serving. He wanted to do the right thing all the time. And that's what happened to him. Mm. Very, very sad uh, and heartbreaking, and at the same time uh, uh, distressing uh, that, uh, such as the case, there's some discussion now about uh, the security or lack thereof. Uh, Sir David Amos was married with five children. He served as an MP for 38 years, uh, and as I said before, he was raised as a Roman Catholic, uh, and he was a, a friend to Israel to the point uh, that Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, eulogized him in, in a tweet, and probably more than that. Uh, just uh, some comments from from our listeners today. Uh, Johan, my good friend, says close to today. He says Baruch Amet. He says uh, God bless the brave soul of Sir David Amos, who stood for truth and Israel. Uh, and Allison, she writes the British press have said the 25 year old uh, is the son of uh, someone previously close to the Somali. Prime Minister. His family lives in an affluent area in London. We'll see if that's true. 
uh, and says, my friend Joanne again, he says, um, just one second, that jihadists who stand for lies will only fail miserably. Well, let's just ask one last question, Congressman Pittenger. Uh, David Amos, if he continued to be alive today, uh, what would he be standing for? Everything he's stood for the last 38 years from the time that I met him in Moscow and he stood strong for those who are being persecuted for their faith. He spoke for those who couldn't speak for themselves. He speaks for the unborn. He speaks for those who are in prison. He speaks for those who are under siege by terrorist groups. So David never backed down from a concern that affected real people's lives. Congressman uh, Robert Pittenger, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. May uh, your friend uh, MP David Amos's memory be a blessing. Uh, but also, may we not uh, accept these things as just part and parcel uh, of daily life. There's a shutdown of voices here. If I could, I had dozens, I had dozens of town hall meetings. Uh, I was in the public all the time. And I had police who attended me. I didn't go anywhere. I'm not stupid. I know my job and I know what I've been doing for the last eight years in terms of counterterrorism. But uh, I do not understand why there is not a strong security presence in every public meeting, particularly one that's announced. His, his was announced. There should have been police there. Had there been a policeman there, his life could have been spared. And I hope that they make mm -hmm. uh, provision for that in the future. This, Yes, we're, we've got to be willing to pay a price, but let's don't be stupid about it. Okay, there you go. And security is definitely part of it. That's definitely the ethos here in Israel, which is if you let your guard down, the bad guys can take control and shut your voice down. We will not let that happen. Congressman Ron, Robert Pittenger represented Charlotte, North Carolina, for three terms. That's a, that's a great – that's a great office with a focus on national security, foreign investments reform, tax reform, and religious freedom. A great lover of Israel yourself, sure. uh, Congressman Pincher. And we want to thank you so much for your great support. Uh, and again, uh, remembering David Amos, uh, Sir David Amos, MP, conservative MP in England, who was uh, stabbed to death uh, this Friday. His memory and his legacy will continue to be a blessing. Congressman Pittenger, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for the tribute to Sir David Amos. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And thank you for coming on. And I just think the reason I wanted to have this uh, segment on the show today was just very simple. I, I don't want to give that jihad a, a, a ability to shut down a voice and then have it be forgotten. And even in this article that I printed out, uh, I saw that uh, The Guardian and wherever or BBC – did not explain what really happened. And, and the question of motivation uh, should be the first motivation. And we are living in a time where there's an effort to shut down voices. Uh, and I myself am engaged in a big Twitter battle right now uh, about Ireland. And, and you should see the incredible anti-Semitism that is being uh, uh, projected out there. So uh, the one thing I like about social media is that at least you get to see how many anti-Semites are, are out there. Uh, I do also want to say that today is the day of passing of one more great person. That's the uh, the passing of Rachel, uh, the biblical matriarch Rachel. That biblical matriarch Rachel, uh, it says the book of Jeremiah, continues to cry 
until all her children come home. She refuses to be consoled. Uh, and there's something right about that. Sometimes we shouldn't be overly easily to console and just say, that's just the way it is. We should say, no, I'm not going to be consoled. I'm not going to be consoled until there's security, till there's freedom. And I'm not going to be consoled until the Jewish people really uh, have the right to come home and indeed come home uh, to be close to God and to be uh, a great nation, a great society um, that lights the light that lights a, a light of godliness throughout this world. And Rachel, she was the matriarch that really built the uh, Jewish family together with her sister Leah um, uh, and the two handmaidens. And in that way, uh, Bilhan Zilpa, in that way, gave birth to the 12 tribes of Israel. But Rachel, who is buried in Bethlehem, for she uh, died in childbirth when her son Benjamin, Benjamin was being born uh, here in the land of Israel, the only tribe, the only one of the 12 tribes who was actually born here in the land of Israel. She uh, passed away in, in childbirth, but in many ways is considered the mother of the Jewish people and, again, refuses to be consoled, and she continues to cry. When, when Jews come on Aliyah to the land of Israel, I always say to them, um, I say to them, go to Kevrachel. Tell her, Rachel, Mother Rachel, uh, you can keep crying, but not for me because I am home. And uh, that's what indeed people do today. And we're going to keep being strong with that connection to our matriarchs and patriarchs. We're going to remember the past, and we're going to remember the slain uh, British MP, uh, David Amos, uh, who stood with Israel and I think died for Israel as well. We'll find out in the future what exactly happened there, but that is my prediction. I want to thank you so much for being with me. Please write me an email, yeshai at yeshaifleischer.com, yeshai yeshaifleischer.com. Please follow all of our good work. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find us on our website, yeshaifleischer.com, uh, and on our email, weekly email, which is really fun, and our weekly podcast as well. So lots of great stuff. Thank you very much to Moshe Herman, uh, to Ben Bresky, to Tabitha, to Yochevet, and live with me is my friend Lou, Lou Weiss, who says to me, Shalom Yishai, looks and sounds good. Lou, may it look and sound good in the eyes of God. God bless you folks wherever you are. Lots of love, lots of strength, uh, lots of memory uh, that will lead us to a better future. Let's keep on being strong out there because we got to be strong. We cannot let the other side win. And may Hashem, may God be with us in all of our steps. God bless you folks. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected, and shalom. Enhance your faith. Deepen your understanding. Align your destiny with the Land of Israel. Every Sunday, the Land of Israel Fellowship features a live interactive Zoom session hosted by Jeremy Gimpel. That's the Land of Israel Fellowship, bringing the Torah from Judea to the world. For more information, visit thelandofisrael.com fellowship.